It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh, <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. After laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh, <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. Hey guys, welcome to the after laugh. We have. Someone who I've just seen for the first time in real life. We're only internet friends. Kat Alvarado. Hello. What's up? Your name is a, a, is a street name in California. Yeah, it is. It is. Alvarado. Mm-hmm. Alvarado Street. That's how he said it so perfectly. Correct. Now, Kat, I, I think um, we became Facebook friends. I probably saw that you were comic. We had mutual friends, and I added you. In all fairness, probably like, oh, she's cute. And then I sent you a link to my film that I did on Amazon Prime. Now, because you're one of the few people that I just sort of cold met and now I'm meeting, did you actually watch it? No. I never I don't watched think anything anyone, anyone said yeah. to me. Never. Ugh. So I'm like, who is this person? You know how much time I wasted sending out links to like, hey, comics. Oh, God. A movie at the Laugh Factory. Um Anyway, Kat, welcome. Welcome to my little yard and my uh, humble little podcast. Um, now, you just got, you came here basically from the airport. Yeah. You did something called the NACAs. Now, uh, for people who don't know, which is probably most people, what are the NACAs? So it's the National Association of Campus Activities. Oh, I didn't know that. That's <laughs> I didn't even know what it what stood it stands for. for. Yeah. Huh. And it's basically an association of all of the colleges in the whole country. And they get together at these conventions in different regions. So how many colleges would that be? Because not everyone, but probably like like over like that per thousand? each region, like maybe a hundred, maybe okay. fifty. It, it depends. Some regions are bigger than others. Yeah. And then there's also a national one where, at that one, there's probably hundreds for okay. sure. Um, but so I, this was a regional one that I went to. Yeah. So all these these colleges. <clears throat> They send student delegations, like five or six people Uh from each college go. And then um, they watch a bunch of acts, not just comedy. They'll watch musicians, bands, speakers. Yes. On a stage in a theater. And Mm -hmm. you're like, there's a lineup. You're you're following the juggling clown and you're following blah, blah, blah. And you're comic. So -hmm. these delegations. So in the the theater, how many is it packed with normal people or just delegates? Just the students, just college students and how their many, advisors. How many people are watching you then? A few hundred. A few hundred, and they're yeah. all delegates mm-hmm. from, you say, maybe like 2,000 schools? Or I mean, In this case, it was probably 100 schools. Oh, 100 schools total. Got it. Yeah. Okay. But Got probably, it. you know, 100 schools by like five, like 500 kids. S- Not everyone shows up to every showcase because there's yeah. like six showcases of the whole thing, but there will definitely be like between three and 400 kids at each one. Okay. For people who don't know, now when I was coming out in comedy... NACA was it was a thing to do like are you, are you gonna do NACA you'd hear about it all the time um, and the reason you'd hear about it a lot and I don't know how it is right now I actually never really did the NACA scene is colleges used to pay a lot of money and they weren't they were a lot more permissive in terms of what you could talk about so in the early like mid 2000s when I started comedy that was the thing like do NACA's do NACA's NACA's and now it's kind of getting a bad rap or you don't really hear about it that much a lot of people in LA don't really talk about it that much um, because there's a fear of performing colleges that has been made famous by, I mean, who, Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock. Anyway, so um, so I'm always curious about that. I, I, I do remember one of my favorite Naka stories is Naka Naka is when Daniel Tosh auditioned. Because you have to audition for Naka, 
right? Yeah, you do a sh- you send in a showcase video, two minutes. So that's they have to it. accept you to do yeah. this, which is basically another audition. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how many steps is that? Just two steps, one, two, and then they one, accept two, you? and then you go, and you're there. But so it costs a bunch of money yeah. to be able to submit, and you have to have a. If you do it without a manager, which is what I did the first year I did NACA, stupid move. Do not do really? it. Really? Why? Do not recommend. It ended up costing me like four thousand dollars. What? Yeah. So Why? I spent two thousand on the various submission fees because if you're representing yourself, you don't just have to pay the application fee, which is about a hundred. Yeah. You have to buy a booth, which is three hundred. So now explain the booth thing. So, I've never done a booth thing, but a booth okay. is you you have a I only know booth like from a science fair or like Comic Con. Mm-hmm. So how does the booth work? So you have this like space and there's a, a like bunch a cubicle, of booths, basically, like a little yeah. cubicle, yeah. And you set it up with banners with like your face on them and your catchphrase yeah, you, and what, your name. Yeah. What do you put in the, the booth? I wouldn't know what to put in a booth. You have to have favors, like little things to hand out, whether they're buttons or or so little your bracelets. merch, basically. It's all your merch, yeah. The little things you can give away that yeah. shouldn't cost you more than like fifty cents to a dollar to give away. Yeah. Um, and you're handing those out to the students. And when I so I applied last year. Spent like two thousand dollars on booths and uh, and application fees, and then got in just as an alternate okay. at a few of them. And the one that I had the best alternate slot for, I was like third alternate for MC. And so I flew myself to Buffalo with all the bells and whistles, banners, all the shit for my. So you booth. have to pack that shit. Or yeah. you, have to, you, you, you ship it there, and then you meet. I brought at it in my carry-on. Not my, carry- my check oh. bags. Oh, you can do that. Yeah. Oh, because they have their own, like, little panels It all, shit. like, folds yeah. up and stuff, so, you you know, you're able to unroll it and set it up. Oh, uh, wow. But, yeah, so by the time I added up the cost of the hotel, the flight, all the crap for my booth, the applications, the booth fees, I was $4,000 in the hole with no guarantee of actually getting to showcase. Ooh. But I guess I'm a gambler. <laughs> yeah, well, you got it in this business, number and I, one, yeah. I got the showcase. Oh, great. And it wasn't even an MC slot. They went through the entire roster of like 20 alternate slots for the other, for the regular 10 minute showcase yeah. slots. And then I was the only person there. So, oh. So I got to go up and I showcased and I got uh, six headlining college gigs. Oh, wow. And I made my money back. Yeah. Good for you. So, the, the six headlining gigs. Now, when you headline college, is it 45 minutes? Is it an hour? I need to fill an hour. You How I f- choose to do that is up to me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the first couple, I was at 45 minutes. I wasn't ready to do a full hour. I was about to say, how long have you been doing comedy? Five years. Five years. So to, to get to an hour at five years is uh, an hour that you feel really proud of. It's pretty difficult, I would say. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, 45 minutes. The difference between 45 minutes and an hour is very big. I think I... To say I'm proud of it, it's not something I would do for Netflix to check out and air. <laughs> yeah. I'm not that proud of it, yeah. but I'm proud enough about it that I will accept thousands of dollars to do it. Yes. And so feel like m- I did my job. And how much good. do colleges pay now? Um, depends on what you want to charge. <laughs> yeah. So you get to kind of set your price a bit. Oh, wow. But, um, but they're kind of selective in who so there's spotlight high and spotlight low spotlight low you're not allowed to charge any more than 1250 1250 uh, for a show for a show plus travel but will they have you for multiple shows maybe or two one shows show. one show mm-hmm. okay so twelve hundred dollars or so for one show plus hotel and food and all that okay um 
And then if you get spotlight high, you can set your price at whatever you want. Okay. But when you apply, like they kind of decide for you whether you're low or high. Got it. Okay. So um, let's let's Tarantino this a bit, and let's go back to the uh, to the story of Cat Alvarado. Mm-hmm. You're Nicaraguan. Now, don't you hate it when people who are white Americans on the news go today in Nicaragua, and they go into that weird bullshit faux accent? I have mixed feelings about that. I kind of like it. Because at least they're <laughs> really? not butchering it. But when they, okay, today in Nicaragua. Don't go Nicaragua. Don't, don't also go Nicaragua. Yeah, say it in English. If you're in English, stick to English. Oh, uh, that would drive you crazy. So you're not from there, though. My mother's from there, and I grew up visiting there a whole lot. So, like, summers, I would go down there for a couple weeks. As an armchair traveler, tell me a little bit about Nicaragua, because I don't know anything about it. All I know about Nicaragua is, didn't Reagan do a deal Yeah. With the rebels. That was a thing. Mm-hmm. And isn't that how crack started in L.A.? That's yeah. all I know. <laughs> so what is your? So I imagine that if your m- mother and father and your family are from Nicaragua, they did they leave during wartime? What was going on there? So give my mother a, give us a history of Nicaragua. All right, I'll give you a history. So they had this, <laughs> they had this horrible dictator that the U.S. had put in in like the 1930s. What was his name? Somoza. Somoza. There's Anastasio Somoza. And then there's the other samosa. Okay. I I, for, I mix them up all the time. Yeah. Um, but the fa- there is the father, and then he dies, and the son takes over, and the son's a complete asshole and like worse than his father. And, yeah. You know, you don't have freedom of speech and all that stuff. Of it's horrible, and he's super corrupt. Like he let Dow Chemical just dump like tons and tons of mercury in their lakes, so they actually have a hard time with water supply, even though they have all these lakes. But yeah. The lake like uh. Lake Managua is contaminated. You cannot swim in it. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I see it was a corrupt because son of a bitch. Because of Dow. All yeah. because of Dow. At one point, there was like 40 times the healthy amount of pesticides in women's breast milk. Oh, my God. This was in like the 70s. And it's all based in the lakes? Or is it um, different forms of pollution? Oh, different forms of pollution. Because Dow Chemical, they sold like most of, like the largest amount of their pesticides to Nicaragua. Oh, wow. To use on mosquitoes and things. And as a result, it got into the water supply. It got into the food. It was everywhere. It was in the air. And people just absorbed it. Yeah. So, oh, my God. Was there, I mean, how, how long, so this was going on, how, when did this get discovered? Was there like an Aaron Brockovich situation or? I'm not familiar with the details of that. Yeah. But I do know that around a little bit after the Cuban Revolution, people start getting ideas in Nicaragua as well. They want their own revolution. Yeah. So they start fighting Somoza. This would be in the late 70s. Okay. And they're led by this guy, Daniel Ortega. Mm-hmm. And those those are the Sandinistas you might have heard of. The Sandinistas that Reagan wanted to give money to. Nope. No, Reagan... He wanted to give money to the guys who opposed the Sandinistas. Oh, oh, I thought he was for the Sandinistas. No. He okay. did not like those he guys. He liked the Samosas. Yeah, I would say Jimmy Jimmy Carter was for the Sandinistas in the sense of when Jimmy Carter found out that Samosa was bombing his own people in yeah. order to slow down the Sandinistas, uh, he was like, hey, this is human rights violations. You don't just bomb your own city and bomb your own civilians. So then the U.S. kind of threw its weight behind the Sandinistas at that point in time. Okay. But then when they took over, and it turns out they were communist, which yes. they were. They weren't just like socialist light like Switzerland. This is yeah. like communist, communist. Um, that's when Reagan took over, and he was like not having it. So the Sandinistas yeah. were in charge, and he gave, and then there were rebels that were trying to get the Sandinistas out. Yes, and the rebels were a combination of people who did not like the 
lack of freedom under the Sandinistas. Because uh-huh. from my mom's perspective, and she was there firsthand, uh, there was not freedom of speech. Like yeah. you couldn't you couldn't have a radio station with your own political views. They would, you of know, course. come and shoot you. Yeah. Um, you couldn't get together with your friends without being suspicious. Like my aunt has a story about some friends from high school that were on the way home from the beach in a pickup truck together and they got pulled over and shot execution style. Oh my god. Because they were they were like, "Oh, these people must be rebels. They're they're plotting against the government." So they just killed them. Oh my god. No trial, no proof, no, no tri- nothing. Yeah. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. Yeah. So, it's around this time that my mom and my aunt and all my uncles So you grew up single, single mom? No, my I do have a dad. Yeah. <laughs> and he was around. Oh, he was around. Okay. He was around. Did your dad leave too? No. He uh, is white. She met him here in the U.S. Oh. In L.A. Oh, so she, she, your mom, mm-hmm. oh, you weren't born yet. I wasn't. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You're, was you're a baby. Early you're 80s. in your 20s. <laughs> so your mom, your aunt, so your mom's a young girl now. Yes. At this point, she's, gosh, like 17, Do they have to, they don't have to escape Nicaragua. It's not like anything like that where it's kind of like they're running in the middle of the night. No, you could just leave. You could just leave, but getting into America then—that's a whole other. Was thing. it uh, was it amnesty? Were they coming like as refugees? Were they coming? Well, it's complicated because my aunt came first. Yeah. And the first they they came twice. And so they my ca- aunt came they, first. They came to L.A. Yes. Good call. And the first time she came, it was not the legal way. Okay, so how did she come in? Don't worry, we're not going to publish this. Um, <laughs> no one cares. The other way. Um, Across the border. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So a coyote. Oh, she had a coyote. And all that, yeah. Wow. But when she got here and she had to like live the life of, of being not legal. Yeah. She she didn't like it. She didn't like having to kind of stay in the shadows and always be worried that you were gonna get deported and that. And so she went back to Nicaragua. Wow, that's really fascinating. So she so you'd so the process would be you're Nicaragua. You fly, or you you fly to Mexico. Fly to Mexico. And then from there. You a coyote would, and you'd go to like what, like Tijuana or Juarez or where where was the entry point? You don't I don't know. know the details. They don't I'm talk to obsessed, me about these things. I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> you I'm go, obsessed with you cartels get in, and stuff. What it was is the description is there was a truck involved. They were like yeah. in in like the trunk of it. Yeah. And driven across, driven and they across. had to get out. Oh, so in they the didn't middle like the cross night, the river in the middle like of the night. Go yeah, yeah. Okay. Through a fence and then wait somewhere until they got picked up by somebody wow. else and then taken, and um. But once they were here, they're like, yeah, so there's no violence. But then you, you always have to worry about of how am I going to find work if I don't have papers? How so am I gonna... your aunt was here first by herself. What with did her do? boyfriend. With her boyfriend. Did they just, I mean, I get a lot of people, they do illegals and they, I mean, right there is illegal. Uh, they do, which I'm all for. But by the way, the, the funny thing about illegal immigration is that um, every single rich person in the world and definitely in California thrives on it oh yeah cheap labor i am thriving on it <laughs> all of the work done in my apartment in my yard is like 15 bucks an hour with like top-notch guys and i feel a little bit bad so i tip more but i'm also like thank god you go to home depot you pick up someone they come by and you know and and you get great work done so everyone in la i mean you won't go by a mansion in bel-air without having seen little immigrants working yeah so we thrive on it we need it and it's a very kind of hypocritical backwards policy that we have regarding it so i, f- I find the whole thing fascinating so your, your aunt comes with a boyfriend what'd she do for work do you remember did, did she talk about it he was a mechanic and so they were kind of flipping cars if that makes sense like getting yeah. crappy cars fixing them reselling them yeah okay yeah 
that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And um, but she didn't like it because she was. Did she have scares? Like, oh my god, like someone's like INS. They must have. Yeah. Like I said, they don't talk about it. They don't talk about it. interesting. They so don't talk about because they're not they're not proud of it. They don't really. Want, mm-mm, they're not. It's not something that they're proud of doing because they broke the law. They're ashamed That's of it. That's so interesting. To That's me, why they it, left it, and went back home to Nicaragua. They left and wow. then they applied for citizenship the legal way. Oh wow! And then got their thing stamped and then flew straight into LAX. Oh, well, oh, God, that's amazing. So the process, so she didn't feel right about it. She flew back to Nicaragua. Now, at this point, and your mom's still there, everyone's still there. Mm-hmm. And your, your aunt goes, you're not going to believe this place, L.A. It's fucking beautiful. Are you kidding me? I don't think it was quite like that. It was, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they went out of necessity. Yeah. Nicaragua is a beautiful place. And yeah. it's a small community. Everybody knows each other. Um, at least in the, in the town where they're from, everybody knows each other and you're with family and you get to live across the street from your parents and raise your kids there. And like, if the kids want to go see grandma and grandpa, they run across the street. If they want to see their aunt and their uncle, they run to the house next door to that. (laughs) You know, your whole family lives right there. And so even my grandmother came was, she was able to come here. I guess she got a visa as well. Um, and when they came, she hated it. She wanted to go back home. She hated that that were so isolated that yeah. you have to be inside of your house. Cause over there you have the hustle and bustle of the town right outside your door and people walk into your patio and they're like, do you want to buy something? You yeah. Want to buy some bread? Do you want to buy some chickens? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, no, go away. And you, you hear the gossip of the town and you know, it's like a, living inside of a soap opera because you know, everybody's business of course. And gossiping and people come by and they're like, did you hear so-and-so? And that's just a part of the culture. It's very social, very warm. So you come here and and you're just isolated. Of course, then you're LA, right? Everything's boxed. She hated it. She went right so, back. Oh, she went right back. My grandmother, so, yeah. I, I was wondering. So you have this beautiful community and this sense of community in Nicaragua that you don't have in LA and other places, and in culture that you don't have in other places. But obviously, there's something that was so bad that made people feel like they had to travel to America. Yeah. So war. So the war, I mean, was it like because gunfire? What happened, at- what happened was this is the, so the Sandinistas take over at first things are okay ish, but then the Contras start to the Contras. That's what it was. Fight. Yeah. So the Contras are a combination of people who genuinely didn't like the oppression yeah. and wanted a, a free country, um, but also didn't want Samosa, right? They wanted a democracy, mm-hmm. but there were also some Samosa, some of Samosa's bastards in there who were out for blood and revenge against the Sandinistas. And wow. those guys kind of poisoned the Contras because part of the reason why people hate the Contras now, if you like talk to people who kind of know the history of this, they're like, yeah, yeah the Contras suck. Because the Contras were bombing like infrastructure and some civilian targets, yeah. which is not okay. Yeah. Uh, and that's because of Samosa's old guys that were a part of that. And unfortunately the, the you know, the U.S. was supporting people who did that, <laughs> yeah, which is not cool. But so my family was fleeing because we didn't want my uncles to get conscribed into the Civil War. Yeah, because they were just going and getting young men into a truck and going, "You're going to come fight with us." Mm-hmm. Again, yeah, they that's how you enlist people. Just put them in a truck. Come here. Yep. You're, yeah, you're in. You're fighting now. So how how big was the group that eventually came here and they all, and everyone came illegally came legally yes. eventually they came legally. Um, how long does that process take to um, go? I mean, it must be years. I right? think at the time because there was a war, oh, okay, it was a bit easier for them. Okay, especially because the U.S. was involved in it. So, so. 
as a bit of history, um, I don't know if you know this story, and I don't know what I know about it. I do know that the Iran-Contra affair, um, the money that was funneled to the Contras, right, Mm -hmm. uh, was basically used to, or was it weapons that were funneled? Okay, so we sold weapons to Iran and then used that money. Money to give to the Contras. The Contras, I believe. And then also, on top of that, uh, turned a blind eye to... uh, Narco trafficking is that the word? I think so. It sounds um, good. Yeah, yeah narco trafficking. Ba- basically, the, Nar- they the, the contras were selling crack. They basically created crack and sold they it in the streets of LA. They were tied into the contras. Well, the contras themselves were not here. They yeah. were part of the trade, though, yeah. and they were getting funding because all that the cocaine it's mostly grown in South America, right? Yeah. And then it has to come up through Central America to go to North America. So yeah. at some point, the contras had their hand in that supply chain, Got whatever it. that is. Yeah. And so they were being funded in part by cocaine and crack. Yeah, that's why the the, the big, uh, the sort of talking point is the CIA basically started the crack epidemic. That is a myth. I mean, in part, yes. They didn't actively start it. They didn't go and like But they created the money that created the group that... The the desire to sell crack was there. Yeah. They just stopped enforcing it as much mm, because that's okay. all they had to do because these guys they want to sell their businessmen yeah. they want to make as much money as possible so when they stopped checking it as much like go let that through let that through because it's helping these guys yeah that's what made the, the epidemic happen it wasn't like an active yeah they were like hey let's things. start let's uh, you know the, the conspiracy theory let's kill black populations by crack it wasn't that but but they were definitely they knew it was happening apparently I mean, i'll tell you, you know, this much right. they enforced it in some places and didn't enforce it in other places and that choice might have definitely to do that's with a whole race. other podcast yeah so so let's get to your story so mom gets here and you she settles where in la where in, in la like compton compton like girl you from the hood well i'm not from there <laughs> because that's just where she was at first like, yeah 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 um and then she got she learned enough English to get like a job at a place where she was doing data entry. Yeah. She's this really pretty young woman. At this point it's like nineteen eighty eight. And then your your gringo dad My he gringo walks in dad. Yeah. to the office. Mm-hmm. Where, where, they they met at work? They met at work. Hashtag me too. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, Hey, I got some data entry for you. So how did they meet? Were they were they coworkers? He was was he a boss? So he was not a boss. He was in a different department because he was a computer programmer. Okay. And she was just, you know, la la Aww. typing. And he walks into the building and I guess walks past her her desk or whatever. And she sees him and she goes, oh, my God, look at his beautiful blue eyes. He's oh. so handsome. Yeah. And he, like, saw her, too, and thought she was pretty. And so the next time she sees him, like, in, I guess, in the cafeteria or whatever, she gave him, like, a really big smile, like, like very <laughs> inviting. Like, you should talk to me. Uh, big, huge, unmistakable, like, smile at him. So yeah. he's like, okay, it's safe to, like, talk to her because he's shy. My dad is not. Well, computer programmer, yeah. A ladies' man. He's not yeah. a smooth talker. He's yeah, this isn't Mad Men. Mm-mm. No, yeah. So he's like, okay, she smiles at me, so I guess I can talk to her. So... Then one day at lunch, I hope I'm telling it right, she comes and sits across from him. No, wait. No, okay, okay. Back up, back up. So one day at lunch, this other broad comes and sits across from him. Bitch. Because <laughs> she liked him too. Oh. And he ate a jalapeno. <laughs> and the girl was like, oh my God, I can't believe you're eating that without a tortilla or anything. That's amazing. What? I'm so amazed. 
And so he's like, okay, this is a way to get a girl to talk to me. Is it, you get a Latina to talk to you, you eat a jalapeno with nothing. That's so funny. So he said it worked on her. So then he sat with my mom uh-huh. and he did the same thing. And she had the same reaction. Oh my God. Oh my God, what are you doing? Don't you want some water? Are you okay? Your face is turning red. I mean, <laughs> That's great. I love that. And what then, a great pickup. Hey yeah. guys, you hear that? You want to pick up a, a, a cute Latin girl? Eat a jalapeno. Just start like and just start being a white person gagging on on hot peppers. Yeah, she yeah. found it endearing. Endearing. <laughs> and, then, um, and then they went on a date, and then they date. went on more dates, and then uh, a year or so later, I was born. Oh, remember dates? Remember mm-hmm. when people went on dates? Anyway, so um, I, so they got married, and you were yeah. born. Mm-hmm. Are they still together? Maybe that's nope. you know. Yeah. All right, I know. that's always. That's <laughs> they always... were together for like twenty two years. Hey, that's a good run. That's a really good run. It's always hard to say that, but like I feel like people should be happy if they've been together for twenty two years. And they oh, ha- yeah. how many ki- have brothers, sisters? Two, two kids. Two kids. So, and you're very, you're very cool girl. You're doing doing really well. Is your brother sister? Who? Sister, she's twenty one, twenty two, about to finish college, chemical engineering major. Engineer, yeah. get the dad nerd side. Oh yeah, we we both have it. It's terrible. When I go see him, we talk about like information systems and Excel spreadsheets, and he's like, "Oh my god, have you tried this? Have you tried that?" And I'm like, "Yeah, it's stuff that I could never talk to anyone else about, or they would get bored and confused." Oh wow! But our brains like think so in have, grids and systems. You have a good like. Well, it's funny because I was an aerospace engineer for college. What? Yeah. Did Did you finish or did I did? Oh wow! I graduated, That's cum laude, Princeton University, baby. What? But I will say this. <laughs> I think I have brain damage. Oh, no. Like, I think I've been hit by cars. I've played sports. <laughs> I've smoked a lot of weed. <laughs> so when people try to engage with me in conversations about, like, for example, you know, I did a lot of theoretical physics in college. And when people try to talk to me about black hole theory and string theory and M theory, I'm just like, oh, you think I remember that shit? Oh, <laughs> no. You think I know any numbers? Like, you want, don't talk to me about, you know, I'll, I'll get like black hole for dummies at, at the Barnes and Noble and, and refresh, but I don't know. So, um, but that's a good side. I wish I still had it. My dad's a is an engineer, a mechanical engineer. I feel like that stuff runs in families a little bit because a friend of mine was helping me go through my ancestry, and on my dad's side, the paternal lineage is just like engineer, another engineer, another engineer, another engineer. It's like, that holy makes sense. Shit. That makes sense. Back to Austria, like <laughs> yeah. My my dad's family is like boring, like patent lawyer engineer like boring 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 and my mom's like fucking uh uh pirate (laughs) boot black chambermaid fuck the master i mean it's literally just like derelicts and like all irish and scottish and my dad's like english like boring as shit um so it's nice (laughs) to have that that balance so um your your sister's not a comic right no she's she's not interested in that idea so how, how did in the middle of this, this when did comedy come about for you? Because it's always it's always an interesting story to hear how people discover like, hey, I want to devote my life to this bullshit. Well, I always had listened to comedy stuff and watched it with my dad growing up, like literally oh, really? in the car at that age five. He was playing Daddy Carlin. daughter. Bon- oh, really? Yeah. Which I didn't get at all. I was like, why is this funny? Why? What do you mean the seven words you can't say in television, Dad? <laughs> yeah. I was like, this guy used to be a math teacher, and I was a math teacher. And oh, wow. I'm like, oh, cool. That's amazing. So um, so as, as a young age, you, you'd you'd watch it too? I'd watch it with my dad. We'd watch Leno together at night. It was like a treat oh. on Fridays. He'd let me watch Jay Leno at 1130 because I got to stay up late. Yeah. Um, so it was always like a special thing for me, and I always loved it. Um, and then 
when I was, and I, and I listened to a lot in high school, like Dane Cook and Jim Gaffigan and all of that. That was what was big, mid-2000s. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I went to college, stopped doing theater and performing arts, just studied economics. And when I got out of that... Where did you go to college? First, uh, Cal State Northridge and uh -huh. then UCSB. Okay. Um, when I got out of that and got a full-time job, I was miserable. I was like, what the what fuck is this? What was your job? This? I couldn't actually find a job in what I wanted, which was like statistical modeling. Yeah, of course. Well, everyone's that. So how could you find that job? <laughs> so Well, I'm a girl and I'm a pretty girl with a high voice. So I didn't do well in the interviews. They, I don't, I didn't, I, the whole time they were, if I was lucky enough to get an interview, they were skeptical and like just seemed like they wanted to get me out. Interesting. Yeah. So your resume didn't really make a difference. Like mm, if you had I, I have a friend who at the same schools, no master's degree. I have a master's degree. He didn't get one. And he's making upwards of 200 grand right now. And your master's was in what? Uh, economics. Economics. Yes. So statistical mod modeling. I don't know what that is. Sounds pretty fancy. But why would they f care that you're a woman? They just felt like you. They wanted someone who looked the part. They wanted a nerd. They wanted someone who looked like they were quiet and going to shoot up a school. Like, <laughs> you know. That's so fascinating to me. Because what, what difference does it make what the person would look like for a job that's completely isolated and probably in front of a computer? Because they want someone who they can trust with the numbers. Because these yeah. numbers matter. Like, these numbers are feeding into the decision of, like, how many loans a bank is going to make. Or whether yeah. they think that the loans are going to default and all that. Because they're figuring out what are their probabilities. And... I love that shit. It's super interesting. Yeah. And the thing is, the people who were interviewing me were like super nerds. Like, <laughs> like autistic probably or Asperger's. Yeah. Or, yeah. And they were asking me questions like, what's the formula for White's test? I'm like, I know to do White's test. And there is a button in most software that you can push to do said test. And then you know whether it's too big or too small, what the result is. Yeah. So I don't really need to know this formula. For Why like, are you what, asking me? you a pen and paper? Yeah, you could just fucking That's look so it up. And Google that shit. Like, you know what's so funny is I have to admit, like, because because I'm I'm older than you, <laughs> not that much, no. But um, so I always think like, oh, the world is getting better. The world is less sexist. Like some some of the sex ideas of sexism from like Mad Men era, or, like the seventies, even like nowadays. No, aren't we close to equality? And then I hear this shit. And I'm like. I guess I'm pretty fucking dumb. Like, I don't really realize what's going on. Yeah. It, the jobs that I saw my male counterparts who had less good grades than me get after grad, after college compared to the job I was able to get, it's just stupid. Like, they actually got jobs in, like, securities trading at, like, yeah. Wedbush and all that shit. And I couldn't even get interviews wow. with a much better resume. Huh. And who... Uh, <laughs> just it's stunning i'm like how why why is this the case yeah and maybe it's because they knew the right people uh not sure but i submitted my shit to all the same places they did and yeah. instead i got a job in manufacturing through a guy who i was dating who was nice enough to pass along my resume and then afterwards we broke up i broke up <laughs> which <laughs> yeah. is terrible but that's just how why is it terrible that you broke up with well, him because he helped me get a job and then i was like i I don't want hey, to you. Hey, you should, you should hear some of the comics here who are like, yeah, my, I was broke, had no money. My girlfriend put me up a house. She got me, she like paid for everything. And then I auditioned for SNL. <gasps> and I got SNL. I'm like, let me guess, you broke up with her. Ugh. Well, I had to move back to New York. I'm like, ah, oh, motherfucker, I get it. 
Oh. I mean, believe me. So don't, don't feel too bad. Well, I, I, like I, I was once once I was out of of college. I was like, well, I want to like kind of meet more people. Yeah. Like so, I'm not ready to like settle down in a like. And where were you at this point? Santa Barbara. Oh yeah, what a great place to be single. You know what yeah. I mean? Um. So yeah. So then I had this full time job. I hated it every day because it was like a lot of it was Excel spreadsheets and copying pasting numbers from one sheet to another sheet uh-huh. and then when I ran out of shit to do they'd be like can you do some data entry and I was like fuck you I know mathematical proofs yeah. for like statistical stuff with Greek letters Lagrangians all this bullshit I had to learn that is more than y'all could ever comprehend you stupid bitches yeah <laughs> stupid finance bitches yeah. doing stupid Excel um I was just so depressed. It was the most depressive. How long did that go on for? A year and a half. A year and a half. Year and a half. Every day. Every day. It was during this time that to get through it and not just have a breakdown, I started doing stand up because I had to do something to make my life better. So, I mean, but the jump from this sucks, I hate this job, I hate what I'm doing right now, to stand up is still, that's still a quantum leap. Do you really want to know what the catalyst was? Yeah. I was raped. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what happened? Uh, it was date rape. It was a coworker. Um, it was Halloween, and uh, I don't, I don't know what happened. I poured my own drink, and I on purpose didn't put a lot because I liked this guy. I had a crush on him. Uh, I didn't. I so I was like, don't get too drunk because you don't want to sleep with him on the first time you're ever hanging out because then he's and never going to date you. the first time you're hanging out. Yes. So I poured my own drink with just like a splash, a splash of Jack and Coke. That's what I was drinking. I only had one, maybe two of those. So it was mostly soda. Yeah. And then I just start vomiting like crazy in, in the house of this party. And so I'm like, hey, I got to go. I don't, I can't, you know, I, I'm like wobbly and lightheaded and. And he's like, okay, we'll go back. I, it's so, I think I counted like eight times that I threw up total. I was throwing up in the bushes on the way walking back to his place. Yeah. And we get were, back. Were you also feeling like, in terms of uh, where you were mentally, were you also feeling like, was your vision clear? I felt dizzy. You felt dizzy, yeah. I definitely felt dizzy. And I just wanted to get whatever was in me out of me. Sure. Just throwing up. Um, get back to his place, go upstairs. And I'm like, I can't even think clearly i know i cannot drive home i'm gonna have to sleep over so I'm like, great um i ask him for a t-shirt and some shorts yeah. probably gonna sleep in his bed yeah um sure he throws me some t-shirts and shorts i throw up one more time and they get onto his bed and next thing i know he's taken off my clothes and he's naked and i'm naked and like i don't know how, like how it just happened really fast and i pushed him off of me and i said no i'm really dizzy and i get up I threw up one more time in his in his toilet, and I went back to the bed, and before I can even put clothes back on, I just pass out. Yeah. Like, not even under the sheets, just like, yeah. I'm out. Uh, I wake up, he's spooning me, and I could feel his heart on, and the next thing I know, he's fucking me. Yeah. And I'm still, like, out of it. I'm like, what what is going on? And then... I realize, oh, he doesn't have a condom on. All I can think of in that moment where I'm still half drunk is like, please put on a condom. I'm not on birth control. Yeah. Because I wasn't on birth control. Yeah. Um, and so we did. And then he continued. And I kind of was just like, well, this sucks. 
because I didn't want to do this. I liked him. And now he's going to think I'm some easy whore because I just had sex the first time I'm ever hanging out with him. And, you know. Well, he's the easy whore, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Right. So I was just bummed and depressed. And then get this the next day. Like, I, I wanted to reconcile this and be like, no, this didn't really happen. Yeah. Like. I really wanted to like make sense of it. So he he's at another Halloween party, I hear. So I go downtown, downtown Santa Barbara. We're at a place called O'Malley's. I know it. So I go there and he's there and he's like, oh, hey, what's up? And there's this other chick there. And then they run away. <sighs> like I see them like looking at each other and then they run away and hook up and like leave. And I'm just left alone with nobody who I know at O'Malley's. And just feeling lost and I wanted to cry. And then I ran into somebody from another person from work and they helped me get an Uber home. And I was just like crying so hard because like, whoa, because on top of what had already happened. Yeah. And now he's with another woman on top. So it wasn't wanting, even like. Wanting some kind of validation to kind of make me feel better. And yeah. And it was also that rejection. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. Felt really bad. Oh, side note. That day before going to the O'Malley's thing. I felt really weird. And this is one of the things, like, people don't really talk about uh, this aspect of rape, but, like, when you have consensual sex, the vagina muscles or whatever, they, like, loosen up to allow something inside. So then you feel pretty normal the next day. You're walking around because it's consensual. When it is not consensual, like, those muscles get, like, pulled apart. And so the whole day I'm feeling like weird, like why do I feel strange and like sore? And I didn't really understand. It wasn't until six months later that um, I messaged him, and this is after I had started stand up. Within within a week of this happening, I went and did my first stand up set. So so so, so uh, not to, so jumping, I know you said so this 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 is, and we'll get to that. So this is horrible and traumatic. And uh, it, it sounds like you've been able to really, to really deal with it and understand it. But at this point, so stand up, it just it did it, was stand up something that you looked at as I'll be able to talk about this, or it'll be just fun and get my mind off it. The second one, fun and okay. get my mind off it. Say so I had I was seeing a therapist at the time for other stuff, it had more to do with work and yeah. professional because I was so depressed already about the job. Sure. Um, and she said change something try something that'll bring you some happiness because you are in such a dark place right now you yeah. need to do something and i was like i've always loved stand up so much and you knew right then that was the thing you're gonna do yeah i'm like i have to try it so how do you, so you get on a, a newspaper oh, a newspaper i'm so old when i started <laughs> stand up there was this you got online you looked you looked up a, a thing well, and they're like i had Here. been doing improv on and off in oh, okay. Santa Barbara for like a year and one of the guys who did improv also did stand up and he ran a little room in the back of a pizza place you might have heard of uh patrini's no, I haven't. In Golita? Yeah, yeah. No. Okay. Andre Belikov runs that room. Yeah, I know Andre. Yeah. yeah Andre. And Andre let me get on stage the first time. He put me on the late Thursday night show he has. And, and it was an open mic or was like a, a it regular was a show. Sh- with it was a regular show. Audience. And you hadn't performed yet? No. And how much time did you do? Eight minutes. Eight minutes. Good Lord. You won for your first time on a non open mic, non bringer show. You did eight minutes. Yes. And how'd you do? I crushed. What the fuck? <laughs> because you- I had nothing to fear. Like the worst mm. thing and and this is what I think to this day I never get nervous 
Unless you really it's never NACA. get nervous? Hardly ever. The only time I've ever been nervous doing stand-up was the first time I did a showcase at NACA because yeah. I had $4,000 on the line that I had to recover. Sure. Um, but I never got nervous. And reason being, at the beginning... <laughs> <laughs> Neighbors. That... Yeah. Um, that when something that shitty has happened and you've been in that dark of a place, yeah, what's the worst that's gonna happen? Shut up! <laughs> what's the worst that's gonna happen? <laughs> People don't laugh. Fuck you. Fine, don't laugh at me. I just got raped. <laughs> Boy, wait, not a funny, not a bad line to put in your act. Um. Uh. So, so you and then and then now so you, you do the show. You crush for eight minutes, which is which is almost unheard of mm-hmm. right and it was because i was just like so dark <laughs> in such was, a material weird, dark all, place. was it all planned out did you was it written down i threw together some stuff like stories I had a set or list jokes that I kind or... of just some sayings and opinions and yeah it, it was like a number of one-liners yeah and you crushed so that feeling must have been like like a light bulb in your head i, was like, I need to do more of this yeah. this is making me happy i've gone from being the darkest place I've ever been to having like a glimmer of light in my life. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. And then so six months later, you contact this guy. And I said, you know what? Whatever happened at Halloween, I'm glad it happened because now I'm doing stand up and it's like the biggest joy of my life. Yeah. Um, he's like, oh, what do you mean? I said, you know, that one time that we had sex and he goes, ha ha ha. Right. I get a ha 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 text back. And then he goes, you mean both times? Question mark. <gasps> oh, my God. And I said, I don't remember two times. I remember one time. And he replies, ha, ha, ha. I don't reveal my secrets. A week later, we that out- can we, phone can, died. Can we list his name on this podcast? <laughs> I want to fucking kick his ass. Oh, no. I have a daughter. So this stuff makes me fucking crazy. Okay, go ahead. So a le- week later, what? Um. A week later, that phone died. So I probably could have taken that into the cops as evidence of something. Now, I want to ask you about that. Did, and I want to, I don't want to get too waylaid in this because it's its such a deep subject. But, like, I know there, there's – and granted, like, it was a catalyst for something that was really amazing for you. And, mm-hmm. and you know, on one hand, it's like sometimes the thing, you're, the thing that drives you is also the thing that's killing you secretly, too. A little so, bit. Mm-hmm. Um, did you – think about going to the cops was that did that come to your mind or uh, i know a lot of women are told that they go to their superior or the cops they go hey i got it i got your back just so you know if you do this it's kind of going to ruin your life but you can do it so what was your process with that did you did you go through that no i didn't a few reasons why first of all a couple people at work knew that i had a crush on him and I felt like people wouldn't take that seriously. They go, oh, she liked him, so therefore it had to have been consensual. Oh, she, he probably rejected her, and so now she's pissed. So I felt like that was definitely going to be part of it. Sure. Uh, the other thing is I felt like I didn't have enough proof until I got that text. And then I thought, maybe I can go, and then it died. <laughs> that text yeah. is my only proof. Other than that, it's just my word against his. Of course, because the rape kit becomes sort of like... There was no zero evidence. There wouldn't be any evidence because. Uh, 
Because, well, I mean, because condom, unless he didn't use a condom the fir- on the one where I was asleep. So I don't know. There might have been, but I didn't know about the one that happened while I was asleep because yeah. I was asleep. Yeah, that's, that's well, first of all, uh, fuck that guy. He, his life will be a, a big fucking hell. And I hope you give me his name after the show. And if I go up to visit my brother in Santa Barbara, I'll find him. I'll fucking murder him. Anyway, <laughs> so, um, so let's move on to greener pastures here. Um, I know this is a, a deep subject, but um, so stand up. First of all, killing eight minutes right away. Uh, uh, you know, I gotta start watching your stuff more because that's that's amazing. Um, when did when did? I mean, I was in such. I was in a mindset though. You have to understand. We're like yeah. that dark. It was just like heavy. Yeah. And and authentic. And authentic and from people, it, and people. F- People see that all the time. It's from just like a really raw place. And yeah. After that, like I had the jokes to replicate it. Yeah. Because I recorded it and I had it and I would do the same exact words. It was never quite the same. It didn't ever crush that quite as hard as the first yeah. time. So the second time you went on, was it like, because a lot of people, you hear stories of people going like they won the first time and either they bomb and they're like, fuck that. And the second time they kill or the first time they kill and the second time it's like crickets. So was your second time, was it? A, w- it was w- still w- pretty good. Still pretty good. Was there a moment where you had the heart of darkness moment where you did a set where it just like flatlined and you're like, I feel like that's what makes a comic is when you do a set that flatlines and then you have to go, okay, let me fucking figure this out. Or did you just kill forever? I wouldn't say I killed forever. That's really <laughs> cocky. Um, I did pretty do. good a lot. Most of the time I yeah. rarely knock on wood. I've rarely ever bombed in front of like a real crowd of real people. Yeah. Um, but I've done plenty of rooms that are like really big rooms with only like seven people in them, and that feels like bombing. <laughs> yeah, of course, like an open mic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I tell or, people or a, or a Ventura Harbor Comedy Club show on a Sunday or a Tuesday. Yeah. The yeah. Tuesdays, oh, oh. that room is huge. It fits like three hundred, mm-hmm. and there when because I, I since I was starting up there, I would frequently do the harbor. Yeah, and their Tuesday nights are just like oh, so empty. Twelve people in a three hundred person room. Yeah, that's just devastating yeah. tell me now <laughs> and then you uh so what you, what got you to move to LA it was just big fish small pond yeah I got to a point where like I was doing great on all the shows I could in Santa Barbara but I was only able to get up on like one show a week yeah and there were only two mics a week and I'm like I'm hitting a wall I'm not gonna improve as much as I want to if I'm still here so I got my work to let me work remotely and I moved back in with my mom here in LA, and I've been staying with my mom ever since then, so I can save up. And yeah, uh, yeah. And now, I mean, at first when I came to LA, I was getting up even less than Santa Barbara because I didn't know anyone. Of course. But now it's pretty great. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you have you have a network of friends that you kind of hang out with and go and yep. hit up all the clubs. And mm-hmm. does it feel? Uh, do you, do you have like a, a big goal regarding stand? Does it is it acting? Is it writing? Is it just? doing clubs and theaters i think ultimately i don't want to be a road comic i can tell you what i don't want to do it's yeah. that yeah you told me about all no the gas life. stations and all the food and the, all the chips you're eating yeah i can't yeah. <laughs> i can't live like that <laughs> yeah and i also want to have a family one day we were talking earlier about being a little bit baby crazy and yeah. i am right now kind of <laughs> i mean not yet i'm gonna wait till i meet the right person yeah um, but that. I don't want to be that person who's constantly on the road and can't have a marriage or a family. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I want to go, I want to have a career like Lori Kilmartin's where like yeah. she writes for a show. I think that's the direction I want. If acting comes my way, I love acting. I'll do acting. I'm pretty good at it. Um, Cause I used to do theater all the time when I was young and I still take acting classes just to keep that muscle yeah, fresh. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, so 
wherever it takes me. I am kind of very zen about it. I don't like setting big goals because that sets you up for disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm very much like, I'm going to do the best I can and we'll see where that goes. Yeah. Yeah. And right now, um, you, you headline and we talked about that you do, you've been doing an hour up to an hour. Yes. Yeah. A 50, Which is impressive. I'm at 50 minutes. 50, 50 minutes. minutes. That final 10, I tend to fill up with like a speech about getting politically involved and uh, and that kind of a thing because they like it. So I'm looking. Yeah, I'm looking <laughs> at you. You have Warren for president, so you obviously are very political. Yes. <laughs> uh, do you feel that um, the climate for comedy right now is political in a way that is divisive and bad, or in a way that's good, makes comics more creative and have to be more ingenious in terms of how they do jokes? Because a lot of, like we talked about earlier, a lot of comics don't want to do colleges because they feel that someone's going to be, oh, that's offensive. And I do find examples of people who. Who is the the Persian comic who is in Colombia? Oh, God, he's a great comic, too, and I'm blanking on his name. I'm going to, I should apologize to him after this, but uh, he was at Columbia University, and he did a joke about how homosexuality isn't a choice. And he goes, I know it's not a choice because you see, like, or gay, like, black drag queens. It's like they're not looking at the mirror going, you know, seen as a black man going like let me make this more difficult for myself i'll be gay you know what i mean and that choice that that joke to me is actually empowering to the idea of homosexuality not being a choice which is what people want to embrace in america yeah. so but for some reason some students like they cut off his mic they took him off stage i mean obviously it blew up his career i mean now he got on like the rogan podcast because of it so not a bad not a bad way to get kicked off but do you feel that when you're going to colleges? Do you feel that sense of, of like, is as woke as you of, are, like, the people might be, they might outwoke you? There is a little bit of trepidation. Um, but I try, I, I filter my stuff. Like, I really look at everything I'm doing and my, yeah. and I ask myself, is anything homophobic? Is anything racist? Is there anything that I, shouldn't be speaking to because it's not my place to speak to. And I think yeah. that's that's an extra level of wokeness, sure. of knowing what I can and can't talk about because it's not my place. Yeah. You know, like I can't speak about the struggle of black women. I am not a black woman. And if I were to start talking about why it's hard for black women or why it's hard for gay men, well, I'm not a gay man. Yeah. So that in itself, giving voice to someone else is like silencing them in a way. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't e I don't even know if I'm explaining it right, but that's almost as bad the in, in woke days in today's culture as saying something that's a slur. Yeah. Right. Um, so I also do that filter. I'm like, should I should I be talking about this in particular? Um, and th and that's but that's really the only stuff you're not supposed to. It used to be that you had to be squeaky clean and you couldn't talk about sex and you couldn't say the f word. Yeah. Um, or 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 any curse words. Now they don't give a shit if you say curse words. I've oh, asked really? them when I call them ahead of time because you have to call like two weeks before to be like, hey. Is there anything you want me to know? Anything yeah. you shouldn't talk about? Like sometimes they're if it's a Christian school, they're like, don't talk about religion. Um, yeah. And I call them in advance, and they're almost confused, and they're they're like, well, we're all sexually active. You can talk about sex. <laughs> we're we're like adults here. Yeah. Um, but please don't be homophobic or racist. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. So that's just the only parameter. So like it hasn't changed that much. And if anything, it's kind of freeing in a different direction. Interesting. Well, how so? 
like I can talk about sex, whereas before you probably couldn't talk oh, about sex. Oh, got it, got it, got it. I mean, I, I probably couldn't get too blue, right? There, there's likely some limits there. If I really wanted to explore it, I would hit a wall. But I have a joke about getting dick pics, and they love it. Yeah, that's interesting. So. I, I was, I, I also find there's a weird line between um, being. I have a lot of jokes that involve homosexuality, like as a as a punchline, um, and not in a punchline where I feel like I'm I'm I, I'm making myself. The punchline, like I have a joke where I go, uh, uh, you know, th- like how men like threesomes, but I'm not talking about girl, girl, I'm not talking about guy, guy, girl, because guy, guy, girl, two guys and girls is just gay sex and a witness. And I say, <laughs> my best friend from college, my best high school wanted me to do that. And I was like, uh, okay. And I go over to this place and we were going hard for like 40 minutes. And finally, I was like, yo, time out. When's that girl getting here? Now, now. <laughs> That's obviously not a homophobic joke, no, right? That's fine. Um, however, there are a lot of places that don't want any homosexuality mentioned. Like if you go are to these other like co- in the South, red states. Oh, like no, just um, while I was in urban rooms, they don't like it. Interesting. I can be smashing at chocolate Sundays, do the threesome joke, smash, smash, smash. When does that girl get here? Crickets. It's 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 pretty that's crazy. Really yes. interesting. But in, in other in a lot of other countries, obviously in the Middle East, you can't talk about it. Um, when I was in Singapore, they're like. No, you can't do that joke. I'm like, really? But I have a joke where I also, talk, it's an old joke where I talk about going to the gym, going to Crunch across the street. And I was like, I hate it when like gay guys stare at you at the gym. And so the joke has, it starts off kind of like, here's a douche talking about, I don't like gay guys. And I go, because, you know, don't you hate it? Because like sometimes it turns you gay for a second, like your butthole puckers and you get like, oh, ego. And, I, and I'm looking at the guy and I kind of start smiling. And then I flip my shirt and I pull a thong strap up. So I literally like take a thong strap on the road as a <laughs> joke. But a lot of people were like, I- I've seen gay audience members watching the joke like, you piece of shit. And then the thong strap comes up. They're like, okay. But they- they've told me that I thought I was really homophobic until you pulled your thong strap out. Which is a weird demarcation point for something that's <laughs> homophobic. Well, it has to have the absurdity element, right? Yeah, I guess so. It has to go there yeah. To, so that you know that it's joking. Because if it's not funny enough, then you're just an asshole, right? I think that's the rule. Pretty much the rule for everything is if it's not funny enough, you're an asshole. You know what? Mm-hmm. You gave me one of the best lessons in comedy I've ever heard right now tonight. <laughs> that, is mean, the that is the it, rule. It is. Because you can talk about, and this is when people go, oh, you can't, as a white man, you can't. I don't buy that. It just has to be really funny. You have to be ridiculous. You have yeah. to make a clown of yourself. Like you pulling the thong strap right. up, that's what makes you the butt of the joke and not them. Yeah. Because now you're the fool and we're laughing at you. You have to be the fool. Like the gay person can't be the fool because then you're punching down. Oh, wow. No, that's great because there, there's a joke I do that's really bad. But as I tag it, I make myself a lot. I make myself a clown. And as I'm tagging it, then the joke, and then everyone loses up. Mm-hmm. But the initial premise of the joke is like, ooh. And then I save it with being a clown. So you actually just helped me figure out why that works, because now I'm the fool, and I'm the court jester up there dancing around. Anyway, mm-hmm. very cool. So um, so you, you, you're obviously very, uh, your engineering mind is, is, comes in handy, particularly for NACA when you have to negotiate this type of language and these type of crowds. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're also as a... Oh, I even do trigger warnings before. You do? Yeah. What do you mean? I, d- I have someone do a trigger warning before my set. As a joke? No. 
So Sincerely. But trigger warnings have been proven by every study out there to be completely ineffective. Yeah. But they still do them. I still do them. Why? Because it what, frees what is, me what, up a little bit. So what do you say as a trigger warning? Like, there's like a God mic. Like, I have no someone, whoever's saying, their next comedian, you know, the Cat Alvarado, right? Before they start the show, they go, just want to let you guys know, if there's any content that does make you uncomfortable, there have we have resources for that. So come up to us afterwards. And, right. You know why? Because I think it actually is a way of saying hey, I'm a safe person. I'm respecting your boundary. Got it. Got it. Interesting. I'm playing their, I'm playing their game, if you will. Not to call it a game that makes it sound frivolous, yeah. but I'm speaking their language and yeah. doing what they need me to do such that they can trust me. Because I think someone that who is sense. not trustworthy wouldn't do a trigger warning. They wouldn't do that, no. Dave Chappelle would never have a trigger warning before his show. No, of course not. Um, or, yeah. or if he did it, it would be ironic. Yeah, and I'm doing it sincerely, but then I'm also there to do my jokes. But I'm, you know, I've already gone through my jokes with a fine tooth comb to make sure there's nothing racist. But there is some stuff that's historical, and um, like I have a joke where I go, I went to Spain, but going to Spain as a Central American person is like listening to Bill Cosby as a woman. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun to remember all the historical rape that happened. Um, and I used to do it with rape, with the R word in the yeah. joke. Yeah. Um, and now I do it. It's really fun until you remember. <clears throat> yeah. Like, you know, I, I make a face and like imply it. Yeah. And then that's enough. I don't have to say that. But still, I'm bringing it up. So just in case people freak out over me bringing up actual history. Yes. What's up, buddy? Um, well, Kat, uh, listen, we, we've uh, we've had a great interview. You're, you're awesome. I'm so glad I, I got to you. learn about Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you just elucidated some stuff about comedy. I really appreciate that. So, um, sweet. I'm glad. Nice I could to meet. Elucidate nice things. to meet you. Let's high five. And uh, and thank you for coming on. To, anything you want to plug? Um. Just, oh, my podcast. Listen to my podcast. It's Villains of History. If you liked hearing about Nicaraguan history, you can hear about all kinds of other history. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, very cool. I love that. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. Starting off. Bye, guys. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh. <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. <laughs>